Open Kwong Door Media presents Storytime with Paul Door. In each episode, you'll receive a short adrenaline shot of a story straight to the mind, heart, or sometimes the funny bone, wherever that is located. I can hear your voice over the hum. And stay tuned after the story for Paul's Picks, where I indulge you with something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. This week's story, My Big Break. Um, I, I do have a, a disclaimer for this story. Um, the names were changed to protect the marginally famous. So when I, when I was a teenager, I was a huge fan of this uh, band from Kingston. Let's call them the Tombstones. To provide an example of their hard-hitting lyrics, uh, you don't need to look further than the song Cemetery. And I wrote this down so I'd get it right. It had a refrain that said, I went down to the cemetery looking for love. I got there and my baby was buried. I had to dig her up. It was the 90s. It was a different time. <laughs> so I was especially taken with uh, the lead singer, Henry. And uh, he was tough, angry, a serious drug addict. And uh, when he would perform at concerts, he'd spit on the guitarist. He'd spit up in the air and catch it in his mouth. He'd spit on the audience. Yeah. <laughs> he'd spit on everybody. Uh, when I was in university, I, um, I heard that Henry had cleaned up after almost dying from his drug addiction. And he starred in a, a small Canadian movie about uh, an aging punk band. The movie was made by a uh, marginally successful, by Canadian standards, <laughs> film director named Brian. Uh, Henry might not have been, um, you know, going too far from his persona, but it's a pretty incredible performance. And he went on to to be a uh, become an actor and starred in several marginally successful <laughs> Canadian TV shows. So I finished university where I studied film, and I went off. I did some of my own projects, and uh, a friend of mine worked with Henry on one of these TV shows and made the introduction. So a few months later, uh, Henry called me and he offered me a position to uh, develop a script for a sequel that Brian was making about that aging punk band. And potentially I could go on to uh, write the final screenplay. This was going to be my big break because after all this was Henry the guy that wrote the song, Cemetery. <laughs> but working with Henry was a little different. Uh, there were many late night phone messages from him where he'd make suggestions about his character. Some of these messages were really short, like, I think he should wear a hat. <laughs> Some of these messages were much longer and they were like, I don't think he should ever perform music or play music at all in the movie because people are going to go in expecting to see me play a musician again. And we should subvert that. We should do something different. 
Maybe he should become a painter. Yeah, make him a painter. Henry sent me to see a psychiatrist uh, because he felt his psychiatrist could provide some insight into his character. <laughs> so for an entire afternoon, I uh, sat on the patio of this huge house listening to Henry's goateed psychiatrist uh, explain disassociation disorder to me while he smoked an unnecessarily large cigar. <laughs> Now, the main problem with him wearing a hat, or him becoming a painter, or gaining any insight into his psychological makeup was, and this is a spoiler alert, but this movie was released uh, quite a long time ago, so if you haven't seen it by now, the spoiler isn't my fault, but at the end of the first movie, his character shot himself in the head. So... I'm not saying what we presented to Brian was any good. It was probably terrible. But basically, after he shot himself in the head, we had him wandering through purgatory, which for some reason resembled Berlin in the early 1990s. <laughs> he wore a hat, and I convinced him to remain a musician. And the script climaxed in a battle of the bands type of competition, where if he lost, he would go to hell for all eternity. <laughs> so I dropped off the scripts at Brian's little Italy office. Uh, his office was just one big room. I walked in and there was a uh, young, bored-looking woman sitting at a desk and Brian was sitting on the other side of the room, flanked by two assistants. He was on the phone and he waved me over. So he got off the phone. He needed several reminders of who I was and that I was working with Henry. And uh, he said he'd, after not even five minutes, he said he'd take a look at the script and get back to me. So he did get back to me. He sent me an email, probably by one of his assistants. It was a formulaic rejection email. And uh, they said they were just going to take the sequel in a different direction. And I spoke to Henry, and he was pretty pissed off, spitting off many expletives, but I didn't care. I was kind of done with the whole situation. So, I was uh, a few weeks after the rejection, I was in the locker room of the Dover Corden College YMCA, and uh, I changed into my bathing suit, I was going to do some laps of the pool, and I put all my clothes away, and I was about to close my locker when in walks Brian. And who am I? I've never even seen him at the YMCA before. And he didn't recognize me. <laughs> and he came right up to me and he took the locker two away from mine, so like right here. And now as he started changing his clothes, there was a struggle going on in my head. <laughs> Maybe this could be Brian. Uh, there was a struggle going on in my head. I didn't want to be that guy the guy who in the YMCA change room confronts the film director about the script he rejected. But at the same time, I did want to be that guy. <laughs> but as this conflict kind of waged in my head, I wasn't paying attention to what was going on over here. And 
at the exact moment that I turned to confront him, he actually turned and he pulled his underwear all the way down to his ankles. <laughs> and he froze because something was going on back here. And now I'm standing there in my bathing suits and he's down here. And I just want to step out of this moment for a second. And I want to talk to all of you about dreams. I want to take you back in time, many years ago, to a dark theater where a young boy watched a movie. That movie was called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, arguably, he should not have been watching a movie that ended, and this is another spoiler alert, with a bunch of Nazis getting their faces burned off. But it was a different time. It was a more innocent time. That boy wanted to become an actor in the movies. And he got his first role in an elementary school play. The play was about the environment. He played a tree. And he had one line. And when it came time for him to say that one line, he forgot it. And he ruined the whole play. Because that line was a key line to the story. So acting wasn't for him. But he soon discovered that movies were made by directors and cinematographers and editors. And he had a new dream. And he pursued that dream. He went to school. He worked long 18-hour days learning his craft. He worked on film sets in the catering department where disgruntled crew members threw sandwiches at him. He made his own movies, and he never let go of that dream. But at that particular moment, in the YMCA change room, looking at the backside of Brian, I really wish I could go back in time, because I would want to tell that boy that he should dream. And he should dream big. And he should never let go of that dream. But I also want him to know, to remember that no matter how big those dreams are, and no matter how much he believes in those dreams, in the span of a few moments, they can all disappear into the gaping, hairy asshole of a marginally successful Canadian film director. <laughs> And I stepped out of the uh, way back to my locker, and it all took like a few seconds, and I didn't even say anything to him. And he took his towel and he went into the showers, and I left the YMCA, and I never went back again. <laughs> and obviously, I never got to work with Brian. But uh, in the words of the tombstone song, picture frame of rage. <laughs> Humiliation is a picture, and it's painful, but it fades. Cruelty is so vivid, it's the picture frame of rage. <laughs> pictures in the yearbook, pictures with your friends. 
pictures in the paper that tell you where you've been. Humiliation is a picture, and it's painful, but it fades. Thank you. Time for Paul's Picks, where I briefly tell you about something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. Say they make six Gs. You know, they take my 15%, the van, food, gas. Hotel, uh, four guys, 3,000 miles, five nights. At this point, you do it for love. I'm not saying that Hardcore Logo was the movie I wrote a rejected screenplay sequel to. It's merely a coincidence that this movie is Paul's pick this week. After a certain age, it's hard to make friends. And I've known Joe since I was 13. Hardcore Logo blew me away the first time I saw it. It's a movie that is very much alive, each frame busting at the seams with realistic performances. It's an oldie, but a goodie. We've been through shit, and we've been through hell and back, and we know what it's like, and we still survived. Like, this is a band, this is a gang. And if Billy's into it, and if John and Piper are around, I'll be doing it. And if they're interested, they'll be doing it with me. And if not, we'll see what happens. Thank you for listening to Storytime with Paul Dorr, which is brought to you by Open Kwong Door Media and is produced by me and DJ Kwong. The theme music is by the amazingly talented singer-songwriter Arlene Papoulin. Find all things Arlene at arlenepapoulin.com. Visit openkwongdoor.com and listen to our other show, the At Skating PJ Podcast. Check out pauldoor.com to read my blog, get info about my novel, storytelling events, and other things. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate if you leave a comment on iTunes. I've got it so bad. I got it real bad. I've got you on my mind all the time. That's all for now. Until next time, keep listening to each other.